God does want us to be happy. Now, I want to continue to be clear so there's just no confusion here, okay? This doesn't mean that God wants to give you a Maserati or an Aston Martin. That would be great, but it's not his intention. It doesn't mean that God wants to give you this big fancy house with the giant pool, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through deep bouts of sadness and depression, like Amanda said. What it means is that what we believe is that our hope and our satisfaction and our happiness can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ, which God wants us to be have. So yes, wants us to have. So yes, I say that God wants us to be happy because true happiness comes from knowing him and following him. And in the past few weeks, we've talked a little bit about the tools of happiness that God has given us uh, to follow him, such as prayer and scripture and laughter and worship. When we do these things, we connect with God in a deeper way and experience that happiness that comes from knowing him. And last week I talked about hope. We have this hope that our Savior is making something beautiful out of our brokenness, that he is breaking through the darkness to bring the light, and he has killed death through his own death, and we will be raised just as he was raised. This is what gives the Christian true happiness. This is the source of all happiness, Jesus Christ, the only kind of happiness we should be getting. And today I want to take, talk a little, take a little bit of a segue um, from what I was planning to do and talk a little bit about somebody who I think knows true happiness. And I'm not talking about Captain Crunch, even though we know he provides you know, happiness to millions of kids and some adults every week. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, in particular the Apostle Paul that we see toward the end of his life. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul who's cooped up in a Roman prison cell, who's endured the worst of the worst, and yet he has a surprisingly joyous tone in this chapter. And I want to highlight just how happy Paul is, how he seems despite all the miserable stuff that he's going through, because it's a happiness that can stem only from knowing Jesus and following him wherever he leads. So before we get into our text this morning, will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so glad we can come here this morning, worship together, be together, fellowship, Lord. I pray that you'll bless our reading of this word. I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to the different truths that you want us to know and understand, embrace and practice this morning, Heavenly Father. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds and Jesus Christ. So this is the Apostle Paul at the end of his life and his ministry. And he knows that he's going to be executed at some point in the future. And yet his response is, rejoice. He doesn't say, plead to the authorities that they might release me. He never says, well, I don't really like those Romans right now. His response is, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't hear me, rejoice. And this is so antithetical to the way that we typically handle problems in our culture, right? If something that you don't like happens to you, you complain about it. 
And if anyone who has any reason to complain and be sad, it's Paul. He's been beaten and battered. He's been bruised and abused, all in the name of trying to spread the gospel to the world. And yet his response is this, rejoice. And not only that, he says, be gentle with everybody. I think he tells them that because this is a people that is enduring harsh persecution. Their tendency, my tendency, wouldn't be to be gentle. They'd want to fight for their right to worship, literally. And Paul knows that they're going to see a lot of roughness in their lives. And their situation is going to cause them anxiety. But Paul says, you have this tool that will bring you peace, that will heal your anxieties, and it's called prayer. Remember, prayer is a tool for happiness that God has given us for our good. And Paul is saying that it will bring you peace. Remember how I said a few weeks ago, the root of the word happiness in the original languages is rightness. Things are peaceful when they're made right. You have peace with people with whom you've made right. So what Paul basically says is when you've got problems, lay them down before God. Thank him for everything he's done and his peace will rule over you. And that's when you can rejoice and be happy. And Paul continues talking about peace and happiness. He says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Like I've said a bunch of times from this pulpit, the key to happiness is trusting God and following him. And that means that you get your heart and your, and your mind and your hands in the right place, literally. Think about the good stuff. Get your mind in the right place. And then you'll actually do the stuff of the gospel. That's where the real peace of God comes from. That's where the real happiness springs from. It's always a good reminder because sometimes as Christians we want to do the either or. Well, I got to get my mind on the right things or I just got to do the right things. But you really need both in order to experience true happiness and peace. Paul knows that and he needs to remind the Philippians of that truth one last time. And he keeps talking about peace. He says, I plead with Udiah and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Is that in there? I must have missed it. Well, it's in Philippians chapter 4. You should have your Bibles open. It's all right. Okay. So speaking of peace... Paul wants peace between these two women right here. We don't really know anything about them, but my guess is they're probably not arguing over church carpet. They're probably not arguing over which pizza place to get the pizzas from or the donut shop to get the donuts from. Stimmels, by the way. This is probably some serious separation that was going on. Probably broke the church in half. And Paul desires that they be reconciled because he knows that when Christians fight, They're not side by side for the cause of the gospel. It's like Captain America and Iron Man, right? When you're fighting each other, you're not confronting the real problem ahead of you. You're not locking arms to accomplish something good. You've got to remember that the Philippians are Paul's pride and joy. He doesn't want to see them split apart over something. 
He wants to see them flourish in the gospel. What brings Paul happiness is Christian unity. Now, Paul could say a myriad of things to the Philippians, right? After all, this is pretty much the last form of communication he's ever going to have with them. And if you recall earlier in the letter, he says to the Philippians, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind in Christ, serving one another and sacrificing for one another. So Paul, at the end of his letter, at the end of his life and ministry, he's pleading with these two people to make peace because he knows that they will have true joy and happiness when they're side by side for the cause of the gospel. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Pray to God if you're anxious and he'll, you'll have the peace of God. Oh, and speaking of peace, you need to make peace with one another. Because this really is a dying wish of mine for you guys to lock arms and take the gospel forward. And Paul goes on to say this. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. At the last, you renewed my concern, your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have any opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, you all know that last verse, I hope. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And generally when we read it, when we recite it, we read it out of context, right? We always think of athletes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can put our minds to something and Christ will bless it because we can do it in his strength. Athletes quote it. Students who never study for their exams quote it. We all do it. You do it. I do it. There's this great website. It's called the Babylon Bee. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's basically a satirical news website, kind of like The Onion, except it makes fun of Christian culture in uh, in a gentle way. And there's this one headline that reads this. It says, Context of Philippians 4.13 officially abandoned. I have to read it, read it to you. It says, according to multiple sources, evangelicals across the nation have quietly confirmed that the one thing Christ will not strengthen them to do is understand the context of Philippians 4.13. <laughs> As of Friday, it has officially been abandoned. At best, we can say it has something to do with the other things the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4. Christian Richard McPhee told reporters, Exactly what those things are, I don't really know. I'm not a scholar. I'm just a man with a Bible trying to do what it tells me. Don't put this on me. Seems pretty clear-cut, shrugged local Christian Dan Jeffries. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's it. Pressed to define all things, Jeffries laughed nervously. He says, come on, it's obvious. I mean, like, what I want to do. The other day, it was 225 on the bench, and I nailed it. God is so good. Reporters found local man Dan Hansborough reading his Bible in a local coffee shop after the announcement, and he was defiant. Of course I know the context. Philippians 4.13 is my life verse. It's my mantra when I'm struggling to stay on task online, or stay awake in a movie, or even when I have to take the trash out and it's really heavy. Wait, what does context mean again? (laughs) So we take this verse out of context all the time. But the fact of the matter is that Paul is trying to say something very specific and good about his own circumstances. He's saying to the Philippians, look, 
You guys didn't really have the opportunity to send me money or support me. But that's okay because through all of this, I've learned that in whatever circumstance I find myself for the gospel's sake, Christ will give me the strength to get through it. I think the NIV is super right when they translate it as, I can do all this instead of all things. Because Paul is talking about how Christ empowers him to continue his ministry regardless of his circumstances. If you really want to see what the Apostle Paul went through, just read through 2 Corinthians. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten almost dead, literally. He's been cut up with a whip. He's literally been inches away from heaven's door. He knows what it means to be hungry, what it means to be cold. This is a man who has endured torture and persecution of the highest order. And yet he still gives all of his praise to Jesus. So when Paul says, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me, he's saying that he can endure whatever is thrown at him for the sake of the gospel because of Jesus. And that's what that verse means. He goes on to say, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you guys know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more to be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul's thanking the Philippians for being one of the only ones to actually support his ministry when he needed it the most. Think about this, right? You're leading the charge to spread the gospel to the known world. That costs money, like a lot of money. You have to travel, you have to eat, you have to stay somewhere that might not be hospitable to the gospel. Ministry costs money. And while Paul could be bitter at the fact that no one else is supporting him at this time, he's expressing his happiness that the Philippians would faithfully support him. And their support is a beautiful offering before the Lord who provides all of our needs. I think Paul's alluding to what he said earlier. I know how to be content in all things. I need to survive. Like he says, God's going to provide you with what you need spiritually and physically for his purposes. So kind of to, to kind of sum up the passage right here, okay? Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice always, pray for peace, think and do the right stuff, and be content with wherever God has you because he'll give you the strength to get through it. So I just want to offer a couple reflections as we close out. Number one, don't let anyone or anything steal your happiness in Jesus. You think Paul was about to let Emperor Nero steal his happiness in Christ? If you read back through Philippians chapter 1, Paul basically says, look, whatever happens, either I'll be with Jesus or I'll be with you guys. For Paul, the life that God chose for him was win-win. 
And that's the sense that we get from this chapter. Paul says, I've been through it all, but God's empowered me to endure everything. And even when I've been poor, God's made me so rich in so many other ways. You think Paul was ready to quit this Jesus fad? No, because he knew that the key to true happiness and joy and satisfaction was through knowing Christ and following him. And it's the same for you when you come to know Jesus. Paul tells us what true happiness looks like. It looks like a lot of prayer. It looks like a lot of getting our minds on the right things. It looks a lot like doing the stuff of the gospel and ultimately finding our contentment wherever God has placed us. We're tempted in so many ways to find our happiness in other places, right? Sex and money and work and clothes, everything. There are things in this world that constantly tell us that simply loving Jesus and following him won't make us happy. You know, Paul, you've been shipwrecked a bunch of times. Your face is messed up. You're broke, dude. Maybe you should reconsider this whole Jesus thing. We all have those voices in our heads and in our world today saying the exact same thing. You know, if you shifted what you believe a little bit, you could have more friends. You know, you could have a lot more fun if you loosened up on this whole be faithful to your spouse thing. Or, you know, what's your God done for you lately? We hear those voices all the time. Sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's obvious. But we need our eyes fixed on Jesus the whole time or else we're going to start wandering away from our only source of life and happiness. Paul knew that knowing Jesus and making him known is the greatest way to spend your life. And all the sufferings of this present life that we go through are completely worth it for the sake of the gospel. I'm reminded of Jesus when he says this. He says, look, the thief, Satan, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and life to the full. The only hope that we have of living a truly happy, full, abundant life is Jesus. I think Paul knew this so well that even in the midst of his harsh conditions, he wouldn't let anything or anybody steal his happiness in Jesus. He says, I don't really know what's going to happen to me next, but I've got Jesus. And hey, I'm really, really broke, but God's made me rich in Christ. So don't let anyone or anything try to steal your happiness in Jesus because literally everything else will fail you. With Christ, there's always a reason to rejoice. Maybe you're having trouble at work because of your faith. Well, at least you have a job. And even when you're unemployed, you might still have a family that loves you. And even when you're having some family issues, you still have your health. And even when your health is drastically failing you, you still have the promise of knowing that your death is not the end and you get to spend an eternity with Jesus. I'm reminded of Job, right? Who lost everything. And yet he still clung to the promises of God's justice and mercy. 
He wouldn't let it go, even when all of his friends told him he should. He knew that he could rejoice, even in the midst of his intense pain and his trials, because he knew that God would be faithful to his promises. You know as a Christian that you can rejoice in the midst of whatever you're going through because Christ will empower you to get through it. Like Paul says, I can be hungry, I can be cold, I can be bleeding, I can be poor, but I can get through all of this through him who gives me strength. The question is, do you have a reason to rejoice in your life? If you're a Christian, you can and you should because God has literally moved heaven and earth to provide you with a relationship with him through Christ that brings you happiness that nothing else can compare to. And if you're here and if you don't know true happiness, the first place to start is by coming to know Jesus. I can guarantee you this, that nothing else will compare to the happiness that you'll experience when you finally give your life over to Jesus Christ. You will be rejoicing for the rest of your days. And this meal, this communion meal that we're going to share together is a meal full of rejoicing. Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate price for our sins so that we don't have to. We can finally have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. And in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. Take a piece of bread which symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken for you. Dip it into the cup which symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Remember how happy Jesus makes you. Remember how much you can rejoice because of what he's done in you. Remember all the stuff that he's ever done for you in the past, he's doing for you now and will do for you in the future. Because with Jesus, there's always a cause to rejoice, right? Even at the end of it all, we can say our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? Will you stand with me as we pray?